Hello, this is RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. Normally I have an interesting guest to talk to, but today I'm here doing an unboxing. An unboxing is something new to me and something I thought I would try. Obviously all the cool kids are doing it. And by the cool kids I mean Tim Shorts. And so we were on a family vacation to Wisconsin and I ended up getting a whole treasure trove of books because, well, what else are you going to do while you're on vacation other than spend money? So it's quite a lot of different things I got, uh, quite a variety, actually. Uh, the first thing we went to was a place called Board Game Barrister. It's in, um, it's in um, South Milwaukee. And I picked up Microscope. So it is a book by Ben, who's also famous for his West Marches campaign. But Microscope is a series of tools that's really meant to be collaborative um, I don't want to say setting building, but can be. It's, it's actually collaborative storytelling, but not really storytelling as in um, the, the traditional sense. But uh, if you want to zoom in and out of time and tell a story spanning tens or hundreds or thousands or even millions of years, you can do that. Many people will use it for uh, to work with their players to create a collaborative storytelling or collaborative world building. And uh, I would, I'm not sure what the percentage is, but I imagine most of the time it is geared towards that. Now, this microscope is really, in a sense, macroscope because it's really not focusing on a, necessarily a detail, though it can. It also focuses way out on a macro level um, so that you kind of hit, you know, the, the big things as well as, as zooming in and, and catching the small things. He does have uh, a, a book, I believe, called Kingdoms, and that's probably maybe a bit more aimed at maybe the time frame that we normally look at when, when campaign building. But, but with Microscope, you can build a, a world, a cosmology um, a, a, um, with this. So, And the idea is that in the beginning, you set up, uh, things that are within bounds and things that are outside of bounds, what things people want in there, what things they do not want in there. And so obviously in that sense, you want to be doing this with somebody that you kind of have some sort of like mind with. You don't, you don't want somebody to be treating it, um, you know, uh, if you're wanting to treat this as, as, as fun and yucked, you don't want somebody treating this serious and, and vice versa. Um, and really, I, I played this once. Um, I was go. I would go to. Well, I still do on occasion. Uh, I guess when there's not a, a pandemic, um, to a, a winter war in Champagne. And so I did run this once with a fellow who. It's kind of one of those situations where more people signed up, but just me and this one other guy, and um, and we ran through it. I think it gave me enough of a taste to be able to, um, I guess, get the full gist of it, which is a lot of times you know, the reason I go to these conventions is to try out new things and just to see, you know, what it's like. And so I was I was hooked. The I haven't bought it up until now because I played this maybe, I don't know, maybe three years ago, maybe four I don't know, but I've, I was hesitant to, uh, to, um, just get the PDF because I finding it, I more and more like to actually have a physical book. Um, and 
for whatever reason, it was on the shelf, um, and I bought it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, this is a, uh, the layout on this book is absolutely uh, fantastic. I won't say that it's going to win any awards, but I would say it's a, it's very easy to read the, um, the way you divide up the sections, the way they notify you of each section is all done in a very clear, clear manner. And, um, it's something that uh, I think is just a good example if you're wanting to do some sort of uh, look at a good example of of a layout for your own work. Uh, you could do a lot worse than looking at Ben Robbins' uh, work here. I'm, I don't think he did the layout. It looks like this um, group called Lame Mage Productions, uh, probably the ones that did it. But this is the first printing. I don't know if there was... Uh, I don't know that there was any other printings, but anyway, it's a it's a it's a softback book, and it is about uh, my softback uh, digest size and about eighty pages. So um, anyway, that's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, the second book I got was War of Ashes: The Fate of Agapetus. Agap Agapetus Agapetus, I guess. So this is a apparently a miniatures war game um, that I don't know why, but somebody, I'm, I'm assuming the creator, or maybe people through, uh, maybe Fred, uh, Fred Hicks's group um, decide to kind of do a, a, a role-playing game utilizing that universe with, um, with the Fate Engine. So I picked up PDF a long time ago, um, but I never did buy the book. And I, that when I picked it up before, it was really with the intent of salvaging parts of it to use in a fate game, which um, I don't think I ever did. Um, but anyhow, this is, I think, a, a game that it's very quirky. I mean, the creatures are, it's, it's anthropomorphic. And the creatures are, I don't know, they're, they're kind of cute, monstery looking things. Um, and there's different factions. And so it's, I still wanted to run it, even though Fate probably is not something I, I'm going to readily go back to, may dip in on occasion. But I decided to pick this thing up. And uh, it is, um, I guess, with the intent to one day use it. <laughs> one day, whatever that means. And the layout is really good. Um, it is full color, as unlike Microscope. Uh, this one's full color. I picked it up because it was only twelve bucks. So the the color layout is is phenomenal. Um, maybe phenomenal is a little strong, but it's is very very well done. I mean, the, the use of graphics, the use of text boxes, um, the use of fonts, the whole thing is a beautiful book. And um, even if, perchance, I don't actually um, ever, ever get to run this, uh, this is definitely one of those books that I will uh, utilize in, um, for inspiration for, for my own uh, works I publish. So like I said, it's, it's well worth looking at. Um, 12 bucks, I could not go wrong, I didn't think so. Anyway, I'm a, I can be a sucker for things. I know I'm not going to play, but my goodness. Uh, just a beautiful cover. If you can pick it up for $12, bucks, um, i recommend doing it. The 
next book I bought really was, well, it's not really next. Well, I guess, yeah, we'll go in order uh, for what I bought. The other one I bought at that same place is, my, is the Expanse role-playing game. I already have the Expanse. I bought the Expanse. I flipped through it, read it, uh, stuck it on the stairs, and the puppy chewed the back cover. So uh, they had, uh, so for $15, it was on discount over at the same place. I could not say no to, uh, to the Expanse. If you've not seen the TV series, I highly recommend it. I did get to play this game one time that uses the age system, which is a D6 system. Um, the scenario, I think the problem I kind of had with the, so I love the expanse, at least I love a lot of things that go on with it, but I'm not necessarily enamored with the proto-molecule aspect of, but it makes sense for the, for the uh, TV series, but I'm not sure I really like playing in that kind of thing. I mean, I kind of just enjoy the, it, it's a more realistic, hard science fiction uh, approach. And, um, and so in a lot of ways, you kind of think about it in some ways being somewhat like Traveler, but with less technology. I mean, later on, spoilers for those of you who haven't seen it, uh, there are gates that open up and they're able to, to go to other systems. But it's still, there's nothing about this, you know, the, the only, you know, to me, sci-fi usually has uh, one or two things. I mean, hard sci-fi usually has one or two things that are kind of like, you kind of have to just throw it out there and say it's, it's um, to tell the story you want to tell, sometimes you need to bend science. And I, I think we all learn to accept that with certain things. Like for the expanse, the the big changes that they made were a a drive that requires less fuel, uh, and so you're able to make um, basically long distance travel more feasible without requiring so much fuel. Uh, the other thing they did was they have what they call the juice, which allows humans, uh, while getting injected with that stuff, to be able to sustain uh, up to 12 g's of acceleration, you know, for a bit. So that's that's pretty much impossible without blowing your eyes out um actually it's negative g's but yeah i mean bad things are you're going to rupture you know blood vessels are going to pop at, at that kind of forces so they this kind of a hand wave of pretty much everything else about the game or i'm sorry about the, the universe is pretty solid science fiction and so um it's just really neat so you for me i would like to play i think probably take those rules um, the proto-molecule isn't necessarily central to the game, but I think it's probably central to a lot of the adventures. So that part I'd strip out, or i just use it for in Traveler and use these rules. It uses a 3D6 system. What's kind of unique is they kind of have a, 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 a zero 3D6. One of them is an off-color die. I believe if any of your it, dice roll doubles, so... Um, then you take whatever number is off that off-color die, and you can use that to do some special stunts, which is neat. Um, it allows uh, some cinematic things that you characters can do. Uh, playing it, it seemed pretty nifty. The one time I did play it, um, the only thing I didn't—I don't care f what I don't care about it. What I don't care about what I don't care much for 
is there's a long list of stunts that you can do. And to me, I've seen going back to FFGs, um, spending of the of your of your uh, triumph or your uh, not triumph, but the uh, whatever is your boost is for your boost die, your, the advantage. So spending that can a lot of times cause players to just spend an inordinate amount of time in the middle of combat looking to see what how to spend it, and that's that's annoying. So not played The Expanse, not ran it. My group is kind of on and off sci-fi, um, and so maybe one day we'll, we'll get to run it. I would probably make, the change I'd probably make is limit the number of stunts, and maybe as characters advance, just give them more choices to, uh, to do. Not so much that you need to be more advanced to do all these things, but I think it would help players to uh, ease into it without some sort of analysis paralysis. Um, but anyway, it's a solid game. Uh, Expanse got all the characters in there that you, you know and love. Um, so buying it again for $15 didn't hurt my feelings. Uh, plus to get another nifty map of, uh, of the solar system. So the next book I purchased was a complete manual of topography. Not an RPG book, obviously. Um, not at all. There's no... You could try very, very hard to make a game out of it, but it would be nearly impossible. So why am I talking about this? Well, I was able to pick this thing up for eight bucks, and I do a bit of writing, uh, publishing, and so uh, it would serve any of you seeking to do any sort of publishing of work uh, to be to brush up on this stuff. I mean, it's it's. Maybe not, a lot of people don't find it very sexy, but I, I just know online I, I see kind of some comments where people say something like, you know, how's, there's a lot of questions about fonts, let's just put it that way. And sometimes they're very simple questions about fonts, and then usually somebody that's not in the know will make a statement about, um, or will make an answer that is not informed. Um, Font size, I'll just say, is only part of the equation whenever you're trying to print out material for others to read. So there are other factors. So just to, to maybe condense things a little bit, there are some fonts that are meant to be read. By read, I mean as a body of text. So if you're wanting to have uh, a lot of text, when I say a lot of text, I mean more than just a few lines, but you want people to read through it, it would behoove you to look and see which, which, fonts, are, um, which fonts are made for body text. And if you're just doing you know, pamphlets or just quick handouts or character sheets, you really don't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want. But... But if you're wanting it to be readable, there are ratios in the font. When you, especially get those body uh, ones are written for body that are meant to be readable. And then you're, then there are other factors. So once you say, you know what, I've got a good font rather than a bad font, because I guarantee you, a good font uh, that is small is easier to read than a good font that is big. It seems counterintuitive, but it is true. So there's other things you want to learn about, like uh, like letting and, and various aspects of topography. And I, if you just go, just dip a little bit into just some YouTube videos, uh, you could actually uh, improve your work quite a bit.
sorry about that. I'm recording in the garage, and my wife came home with groceries. So, yeah, also going back and listening to the audio, I didn't think that fan would, would be picked up by the microphone, but for whatever reason, uh, that fan is being picked up. So if you hear a, a slight hum in the background, that is that. I did try and use a noise gate to uh, remove it, but it made it worse because you could hear it when I was talking, and then you couldn't hear it when I wasn't talking, and that sounded weird. So... Anyway, it's 90 degrees in the garage. This is where I'm stuck just because I feel awkward just talking, uh, doing this with people around. So, anywho, so uh, yeah, complete manual topography. Spend some time, some YouTube videos, and you'll be golden. The other thing I bought, for, we went to half, oh, I'm sorry, the, the complete manual of topography came from half price books in, Milwa in Milwaukee. And, uh, well, I say Milwaukee. I think it was Milwaukee. It's kind of like Chicago. You know, there's a lot of Chicago that's not Chicago. And unless you're from Chicago, it's all the same. But if you're from Chicago, uh, they'll take umbrage and it will correct you. So anyway, uh, <clears throat> yeah, that was a half, a half price books. So they do have, um, they do have, uh, they sell books over at Gamehole Con. Not necessarily a lot of, of um, they don't have, sort of have a lot of books there, RPGs, but enough to make me realize that I probably ought to go check it out to see what they have. And um, so you may think, oh, so that was the only RPG. Well, no, I did also pick up a hard copy of uh, Star Frontier's adventure module, Volturnus. Planet of Mystery by Mark Akers and Tom Moldvay. So, as I probably mentioned before, I kind of have this, I don't want to say love-hate relationship. I, I just adore Star Frontiers. I mean, it is, if there is one bit of, uh, I want to say one bit, one large piece of nostalgia that, that hits me right in the feels, it is, it is Star Frontiers. We had a lot of good games, um, a lot of fun, love the art, very enjoyable. Um, but looking back now, it's, it's, it's got problems. And the nice thing is when you get these adventures, when you're in high school, uh, you can, it seems like it's more easily, it's more easy to overlook problems. And I think we play less critically when we're younger, at least I do, or I did. So, you know, so I, I was planning on redoing the, the, the Volturna series and run it, so I started taking notes. And uh, this is a while back, and then I, I realized just what a, what a mess, what a mess, what a mess it is. And, and, uh, and but there's so much also good about it. And so, anyhow, I had some various thoughts with Volturna. One is to just so I started working on a sci-fi um, uh, venture, I guess, utilizing this. I started kind of working with it. it, was, it the working title was something about Volcanus, so yeah, obviously a direct ripoff. So the other thought I was had was, uh, this crazy thought, was what if, if so if you want to run a low, very low magic setting, where magic is rare and it's dangerous, and maybe you might have a PC that has magic, but maybe if it gets found out, uh, maybe the locals will, will not be too happy and, and want to dispatch them because uh, magic's just scary stuff. So 
That's the way I prefer it rather than the, the, the whole um, high magic or even, even the lower magic, I guess, even like Greyhawk. But there's really no, there's not a lot of ventures. There are some companies that have put out some of those. I don't know if I quite always care what they go for. Like Modifius put out the Conan, which obviously, you know, there's, you know, uh, sword and sandals. That's, that's it right there. Um, but man, those adventures are convoluted. Oh, they're so convoluted. And they were just dense and no help. I mean, it was absolutely just a mess. Um, it, it, it feels like going back through their D20s, because if you, if you were part of that Kickstarter, you got a shovel full, shovels full, many shovels full of products from even the past. So a lot of the D20 stuff, but boy, some of it just feels like they just, so much information that they just dumped in the first time. They just picked up because the same people they just dumped them into these new books through some adventures but it just it's very hard to, to pull apart and understand exactly what you're supposed to be doing when and how i mean things like maps i mean just a usable map you know but anyway got this crazy idea that you know maybe uh, you a person could take a traveler adventure and then make that into a low fantasy um adventure off of that because I mean if you think about a lot of times what you're dealing with in the traveler is people have a ship they travel from planet to planet and then they have these situations arise uh, many times uh, they are the adventures they're, they're they're derived around commerce so really they're around usually having the ship that you're trying to pay for or something uh, money making money uh, in that game probably has some more um, it's 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 more of a part of the game than I would say money is with fifth edition D and D. So anyway, <clears throat> the other thought was, man, I can just take Volturnus, unite the tribes, uh, and then they also had a temple that was an old uh, alien thing. You could just turn that into some crazy old god temple and throw something fun in there as well. And um, it seems viable. I mean, that thought seems viable. But then I started thinking. You know, I think the other thing with Star Frontiers is, uh, with the Volturnus, is it would make, I think, a great uh, post-apocalyptic. Um, it seems to kind of already have um, some of that weird vibe. I mean, there's, um, <laughs> they chose to do uh, monkey people and octopus people. And um, there's also things that look like elephants, but they're ridiculous. And then they have things that look like um, I guess various other, we'll say, earthly creatures. So, and and it's no accident. I mean, they they explain why. I mean, it, it's 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 intentional. So, um, and it kind of fits with that whole the the whole timeline uh, cosmology of, of of that. I mean, it, it's there's a reason. So, but I thought you know that's the other thought is to take you know that because it. It provides, the map is a beautiful hex map with lots of area, real estate. And they do have a lot of interesting things thrown in there as far as um, um, landmarks. But they don't really do anything with them. And as I mentioned in other podcasts, you know, they give you dinosaurs to ride, but you really don't really get to do that. So anyhow, uh, this is inspiration. My hope is to actually do something with this. And... Um, 
but it probably won't be Star Frontiers. <laughs> but anyway, I wanted a physical copy because, you know, it's just there's something about it. And it was only $10. So, you know, I'm a sucker for uh, for that. So the last, or at the last, the next thing I got <clears throat> was my group was, you know, we're, we are finishing up Delta Green. Um, there is a, um, we rotate GMs. We're, we, we have a GM-rich group, so it's sometimes kind of hard to, to get the GM timing in because uh, we just have a, a number of people willing and able to do that. So anyway, my turn's coming around, which has been fine because I've been busy doing other things. But uh, I thought we were going to play Spectaculars, but we s did a switch over to Sci-Fi, and we're going to run Coriolis. So Coriolis is, I think the best way to describe it is kind of, to me, and this may not make sense to anybody else, it seems to me to be both, um, it seems to me to be both, it has a Dune vibe, let's just put it that way. So it's got a Dune vibe. So the, the, the conceit is the Earth had an empire, spread out to the stars there's a second kind of we'll say empire that's not really the right term it's built uh, that um, developed uh, after uh, humans found these jump gates and then so as the first horizon second horizon then there was another group that went even further out there were the third horizon well the first and the second horizon had a big war and closed down the gates, and it basically shut, well, it basically did shut off trade. It shut off that system, that third horizon, from everybody else. So, in many ways, um, it, it the loss of trade and was had a, a a tremendously negative impact on the third horizon. And they started um, uh, they started going downhill. So it it the technology they didn't. It, it's almost as if you know third world nations and various things were all of a sudden. That's probably not a good analogy, um, but they did not have the infrastructure to continue to support the technology, I guess is what it comes down to. So they, um, things were going not great, um, and then one of the first Horizon ships arrived, um, but they went the long way. They had like a generational ship, and they just arrived. You know, they, they, were, they launched before that. I believe they launched... My, my, my chronology may be off, but I think they launched before the, the wars even occurred. And so they kind of arrived much, 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 much later on a slow ship rather than through a gate. And they, um, they started um, basically building things up and um, started trade and brought technology. And, but, but they're not great people. In fact, uh, this universe is filled with uh, factions, so which is nice. It's kind of like, you know, going back to, <clears throat> you know, with a lot of these other games and like Blades in the Dark, is there are there are factions, and the factions I think unlike, I think unlike the corporations with uh, Shadowrun, they're I think it's more easy for players to get on the good side and bad side of and they're much more integral part of the story and there's not necessarily a lot of them i think there might be like eight factions and uh they all and not all of them are bad none of them are really they're not really good or bad they're just probably all on the sliding scale to, to a degree so you know it's just uh um so anyway <clears throat> we're gonna play that it's a d6 system um which i really 
do love the Free League's Year Zero engine, even though I've only played it a little bit. It is still, um, it is still, um, it just, it seems very appealing as it works. So what they've done with it is, the premise is you, it's a skill plus um, attribute plus equipment. So you roll it. This is true, I think, for most of their games. You roll it, and then you only count sixes as successes. So you do get a chance to re-roll, but generally those re-rolls come at a cost. So in the Forbidden Lands, a cost can be uh, loss of attributes, so your character will wear away. Um, they're able to regain those characteristics uh, through eating, through drink, or whatever, but the fact of the matter is if you want to push yourself, you are physically pushing yourself. So if you're in the middle of a battle and you want to push that swing, you are exhausting your body. And so it's a great mechanic where you can consume up your, your attributes, which then make you less effective, which can also put you down. Uh, but it's also a choice, too. And uh, they also have mechanics where by also pushing yourself, you, you get some cool points to do some nifty things. The Coriolis doesn't have the ablative at, uh, activity going on with your, with your attributes, but what they kind of do is they loosely just go by dark points. And so these are points that are spent much like other systems, <clears throat> like Modifius 2D20, where the Doom Pool or, or whatever, and it allows the players to, or allows the GM, well, I say allows, but it kind of gives the GM permission to, um, to kind of throw extra things at the character. So. And I think a number of people like this kind of thing. Some people don't like this sort of thing where I feel like, you know, if you're the GM, you do whatever you want. I personally like a system that, that encourages players to uh, push their luck. And by pushing their luck, there will be potential consequences later. So that way, if you push hard against the players later on, you're not being arbitrary. You're like, you know what? You did this, this, and this. And they're like, yeah, I know. They knowingly took on the risk in order to get a benefit that later on could put them at greater risk. And if you have a group that is trusting, um, it's pretty magical. They will, they will just, they will through whether it's Cortex Plus, they will, they will just throw dice down all the time, add those D4s in in order to be able to get resource points or get uh, plot points. But Coriolis, um, it is. Um, it is an Arab-themed game, and I would say it's to me it's kind of got the vibe of Dune. Now there isn't necessarily the same empire and direct large families, but it, it's that kind of um, aesthetic, I would say. So the, the, the what I bought, and I just haven't even looked at it yet, is the it's called uh, Aram's Secret. So it's an adventure that takes place in an acid, atmosphered planet. And uh, it's, it is a beautiful book. Um, I did look at multiple adventures. Normally we only play um, normally we only play about eight sessions before we quit and do something different. So I was tempted to get the larger campaign, but after reading, it just sounds like it's, it's, there's a lot of density that it takes to unravel. And honestly, I don't think you know with those three hardback books, I imagine it'll take years to complete. There's no way we're going to play through that. So. Anyway, the, the books, anything done by Free League is beautiful. 
it does sound like after reading reviews, other adventures, um, they're, I think they're, they tend to be not, uh, except for the, the icons campaign. I've heard some critiques, but some of the smaller ones, you know, there, there's criticism for not, um, providing, um, like good maps, um, and a lot of wasted space that could be used for, that really aren't, they're not, they don't serve design, and there's just a lot of wasted space that could have been filled with good things rather than nothing. So, but the adventures that apparently, some of the maps that are missing are fairly critical, and it seems like it puts a lot of burden on the GM to, ahead of time, uh, do things that should have been provided. And so, you know, for me, when I, when I buy these adventures, I'm intending to, um, I'm intending to um, run them uh, easily, not have to, to work more than I have to. Obviously, there's going to be some amount of work that has to be done for these things, but in general, it's, there's no point in that. So, anyway, the Aram Secret got good reviews, the, and we'll see how it goes, um, I'm pretty excited. The other alternative is to, to run, uh, just just run a, a you know a loose campaign, an episodic campaign, campaign which I've, I've done before. I think in general, uh, those I do prefer. I usually prefer. I'm always in this quandary where the the Provost adventures I have a huge problems with, but then I also find out when I try and do my own, there I have problems coming up with stuff that actually fits or works. So. I'm kind of I'm kind of in this situation where it's uh, uh, no, no matter which way I go, it's it's bad. So, oh, the other book I bought is uh, Harlem Unbound. It was a it's called Investigate the Cthulhu Mythos during the Harlem Harlem Renaissance. Picked this up also at the board game Barrister. It is a Cthulhu adventure set in 30s and um, and it's in it's in it's in Black Harlem, it's New York. So. Um, $15, you can't go wrong. This is not a game. This is a supplement. So this is, you need Cthulhu in order to, or Cthulhu, or however you want to pronounce it, you do need that in order for this to work. So, um, yeah, it's a beautiful book. Um, flipping through it. So many NPCs. So there's a lot of stuff here. So this book for... Oh my goodness, it even comes with the map. Yeah, so this book is 360 pages. And, um, you know, to tell you the truth, whether you use Cthulhu or um, any other urban uh, fantasy setting, you can't beat it for 15 bucks. So, anyway, the next book I bought was Mutant Year Zero. So I've had the PDF. I've, it's hard to find uh, the Mutant Year Zero products. I enjoyed it. I've had time problems in times past getting players on board with the post-apocalyptic games, but um, I think there's a lot to be used. This has got, um, I don't want to say hex crawl because it's not using hexes, but this is definitely set up as a, a hexploration or a square spallation, I guess, since they're using squares of uh, the premise is you're a mutant. It's the apocalypse. You pick where your your group's going to, your uh, tribe's going to be. Um, you can 
whether it's a rundown subway or it's in a crash 747, it doesn't really matter. You get to pick. The GM populates the the um, the enclave with NPCs, and some people are are set up to be in conflict with your characters. And so your characters are both exploring the um, exploring the the wilds, and uh, and then you're also improving your community. So and also dealing with conflicts when you get back home. So it's kind of, you know, go out, explore, a little bit of risk-taking there, coming back, uh, fallout of situations, and dealing with it. So anyway, it's definitely a, a good system. Obviously, you know, I mentioned about the Coriolis. Um, I And I have used that for a post-apocalyptic supplement I'm coming out with. I did use some tools from this, so... Um, but anyway, Mutant Year Zero, um, I recommend picking it up if you're even on the fence because, man, some of their stuff is hard to find. Uh, hard to find. I'm not sure. So the, the last, yeah, was it the last? Yeah. Wow. So the very last thing I've got is the Dune Adventures in the Imperium. So... It is put out by Modifius. It's using the 2D20. I think there's some mixed um, of listening to different podcasts, um, especially those on the, um, in the, um, I forget the guy's name from the uh, OSR network people on Anchor. Um, he wasn't necessarily a big fan of the 2D20. I, I never, I didn't like it in Conan, the complexity it had too much complexity with very little payoff. The the um, the tree for developing your character. It's very much kind of so. It, Jay Little, the one who did the Star Wars system, which originally also had its own tree that you'd pick a character class and you'd advance along the tree. Same kind of thing, but man, so many of those things on that tree were absolutely useless. So many stunts that your character could start with that bear they would never happen in a campaign, and I I find that to be completely frustrating. Where the only time you can use a stunt is in such a a constrained and peculiar way, and I think like for example, one of them in the Conan was. I think you had to be in your country during a time of revolution. And then at that time, you got some access to some sort of information. But if you're, you're playing Conan, my goodness, you're, uh, to me, I don't want to say you're playing Conan right. But in general, if you're playing Conan right, it's, you're in a different place every time. I mean, those, it's, it's, it's very much set up to be an episodic. Not that I say it can't be a campaign, but they're just it, Conan, you know, via literature if you read the way that it was written, they were not written in the chronology. Uh, it was not through uh, the chronological chronological order of Conan's life. It did not do that. It started with him being king, being king for a while, losing his, his throne. So that was like the first Conan story. So I mean, then what you're dealing with is is Robert E. Howard through writing in different places, dipping in and out of the life of of Conan the Barbarian. And they, you know, as you read through those, you see that Conan is not a static character. And, um, you know, reading the the titles of the books, uh, the novels, 
but also the uh, even like the, the the gaming supplements, you know, Conan the Thief, Conan the Conqueror, Conan the King, you know, Conan the Destroyer, Conan the Buccaneer. I mean, it's the the this is a person that has lived in and possibly rich life, um, and doing and exploring many locations. So, um, and so that's what to me what what those games are about. They're not about dungeon crawling you know they're not about a mega dungeon not about that at all you know it's it's only a small part it's generally um there's certain things i think that are pretty common in the stories and that that you may or may not have to follow but and if you're going to be playing those types of games you really want something to be um to me it it it, it changes up every couple sessions so anyway terrible implementation i did hear that star wars was a good implementation but all the adventures and the and a lot of stuff just are just terrible and it, it it sounds like i don't haven't read through it but it also sounds because i'm not really a star wars fan i mean star trek fan it also sounds like they um kind of dibble and dab out the information so you're you're having to go through many books just to get you know really what you need to, to do whatever it is you want but anyway so the dune book i did i did pick up so you know one um, I read Dune back in, I think, know, freshman year, eighth grade, which is kind of ridiculous when I think about it now. Um, loved the book. Um, loved, um, at least love the first, the book. I, I read the next two, but I think less excited about it than the first. So um, picked this up. Friend was wanting to run this. Uh, the one that's running Del uh, the Delta Green, we may eventually be running. I don't know, but I, the thing is, is I'm not necessarily interested in the history, but I'm really interested in understand how they put the politics together. Because on the face of it, in a prima facie, it, to me, it appears that a role-playing game in the universe of Dune, as is presented in the first book. Um, as far as the material that's being presented, not necessarily the flavors presented, doesn't appear to have a lot of opportunities for um, an exciting game. So it is a game about political intrigue at, at high levels and low levels. It is about the long game, mobile people playing the long game, some people um, short-circuiting the long game, and uh, creating unusual situations. Um, it is... There's a lot of machinations that are going on. So that being said, you know, I'm just interested in see how they would take something like the Dune universe and make it a playable game. Now, obviously, they're going to be using um, they're going to be using not just the Frank Herbert, but his son. Don't ask me. I have no idea of as far as what sort of things are presented. I've, but but utilizing other material that we'll say is officially or unofficially canon, I think, well, I guess it'd be officially, I think probably does goes a long way with fleshing out the universe to make it more playable. So I've not been exposed to that. So in other words, I'm looking forward to seeing how they're able to, to take the Dune material and make it into a role-playing game. So that's one. Two, um, <laughs> I opened the book, I opened the book at the, uh, at the bookstore, and it's beautiful. 
So uh, looking at the layout is maybe one of the best layouts I've ever seen for an RPG. And, uh, and I will say that there's a certain amount of inspiration on that level. Now, I've heard some say that the implementation, they felt that the 2D20 was too narrative in its approach. So I don't know if, at least in this version of it, don't know if it's true or not, or if that's going to be true for me. Um, but anyway, it is, it is a beautiful book. And I've, you know, looking at the John Carter book, I was disappointed by the art in there. It just seemed like I didn't not look through the Star Wars but, or the Star Trek, but man, <laughs> that Dune is absolutely beautiful. So anyway, that's my Monty Hall um, and, uh, and my thoughts on these various, various books. So anyway... Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for putting up with the noise and the uh, unintended uh, uh, background craziness. And uh, until next time, keep rambling.